If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Psalm 137, Psalm 137. A couple notes before we start into the sermon. One would be a note of thanks um, to the brothers who filled the pulpit for five weeks while I was um, adjusting to life with a new baby. Not that we've got that all figured out yet, but um, it was a blessing to have those five weeks. So thank you guys for blessing me and blessing our church as we did our series through the book of Esther. Uh, the second note would be just about uh, the live stream. Uh, something that my wife discovered is that you can pause the live stream. Um, it will no longer, be, no longer be officially live at that moment, but it may allow you to deal with things that, that may arise in the moment. So um, the wonders of technology. But Psalm 137 is our text for today. And as I've said a few times, today is the first Sunday of Advent, which also marks the first season in the liturgical church calendar. Uh, for most of us, having celebrated Thanksgiving, we now enter into the Christmas season. However, in the traditional church calendar, the season of Advent is not the same as Christmas. Christmas, or Christmas tide, as it is also called, does not in fact begin until December 25th. And it's not one day, but it's rather a season of fasting that lasts for 12 days until sundown on January 5th which is what the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, is referencing, though no one is really sure why the singer is receiving so many birds from her true love. Christmas is a, a celebration, a rejoicing in the truth that God has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. But Advent is intended not as a season of feasting, but of fasting and waiting. The word Advent means arrival or coming, and these four weeks remind us that generation after generation of God's people were looking for the Messiah and that we are still awaiting his return. This season of Advent therefore prepares our hearts for the celebration of the coming of Jesus, and it turns our eyes to the second coming of Jesus that we are still expectantly waiting for. Now, obviously, we as a church do not closely follow the church calendar. Like much of American Christianity, we have a tendency to, to pick and choose which part of this yearly cycle we want to celebrate, and that usually boils down to Christmas, Good Friday, and, and Easter. And, and we certainly have freedom in Christ to do that. I'm not going to mandate a cancellation of all Christmas celebrations until after December 25th, or say that we need to follow all of the celebrations of the liturgical calendar. However, might I suggest that we may be missing something by moving too quickly into a season of feasting before properly preparing our hearts through fasting and waiting. If you're like me, then you did your best to eat light this past Thursday morning. You, you resisted snacking so that you would feel hungry when the, when the Thanksgiving feast was put on the table. And in a similar way, could, could the letdown that often arrives on Christmas afternoon be due in part to the fact that we have not deeply felt the absence of Jesus before celebrating and looking forward to his arrival? The carol, Joy to the World, instructs us in this way. It says, let every heart prepare him room. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I can remember days when we used to have people over to our house. You remember that? We used to have people come to your house. 
uh, and the day or the hours or the minutes or the seconds before their arrival were a time of, of preparation. Usually that meant getting rid of, of clutter, putting things away. If the party that we were having was particularly big, it could mean rearranging furniture or removing some items so that there was room for everyone. As we head towards Christmas, maybe there is similar clutter in our hearts and in our souls and in our lives that we need to, to clear out so that there is room for the joy of Jesus' coming and the anticipation of his return. Advent is the, the opportunity for clearing the clutter, for preparing room in our hearts to welcome Jesus, the Savior and Redeemer of our broken and sinful world. Of course, maybe you're thinking that you've had enough stripped away from you already this year. As if 2020 hasn't been rough enough, now Andy's trying to cancel Christmas. <laughs> we can all agree that this has been a hard year. Yet that could also mean that it's the perfect year to sit in the hunger and the loneliness of our souls a little bit longer. Maybe now more than any other year, we who never have to wait for anything might be primed to be filled with a true longing for our Savior and friend to come. We who often do not feel the, the true, feel true hunger Maybe we're ready now to, to hunger and thirst for the righteousness and the wholeness that only the coming of Jesus can bring. Maybe, maybe you and I, maybe we can, we can take all of the missed hugs and all of the missed holidays, all of the festivals that we couldn't go to, all of the vacations that we had to cancel, all of the pieces of this quote-unquote new normal that just make us want things to be normal again. Maybe we could take all of the longing for things to be the way that they were and let them be turned into a longing for Jesus and a longing for his perfect kingdom. One way to help us think on and, and feel this longing for Christ and his kingdom is to reflect on the period of Israel's history that we have been studying in as we have studied the book of Esther, and which is also the historical backdrop for our text today in Psalm 137. The exile, the, the, this, era, the, the story, this era in the story of God's people was a time when the Israelites were in exile. In God's sovereign plan, his people had been taken from their homeland of Israel by the Babylonians and barred from returning. As you sit in your home in this present moment, we are reminded that we are very much tied to our homes. Some of us rarely leave the house these days. But imagine the opposite happening. Imagine being driven from your home taken away and told that you were not allowed to return. Kids, maybe sometimes you get punished. And in that punishment, you're told to go to your room. But what if the punishment was that you were not allowed to go to your room? Ever. And what if you were not simply driven from your room, but what if we were driven from our home? What if we were driven from our city or even from our country? There were no more familiar roads or stores, no neighborhoods that you recognize, no synagogue, no temple, no church to gather in and to worship God together. I think we can feel those feelings a little bit better this year. The exile was in, in many ways God's judgment on his people for forgetting him. Their plight was of their own making, but their sorrow was still very real. And the exile went on for decades 
by Esther's time, some of the children of Israel had returned to their homeland and begun to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but still others remained far from the temple, the, the place where God's presence was said to dwell. And as we saw in, in Esther, they certainly wondered where God was. The absence of God's name in the book of Esther may in fact be a way to communicate the struggle of God's people in those days as they asked, where is God? And in the light of Haman's decree to exterminate the Jewish people, their questions intensified. Is God still for us? Will he still deliver us from our enemies? Will he ever restore all that we have lost? Underneath these questions was this uncertainty about how they, as God's covenant people, were to understand God's presence outside of the promised land far removed from Jerusalem and from the temple, the place that marked the presence of God among his people. If we were forced from our home and our homeland, our despair at being driven from our home would be mainly because we were leaving behind all the people and the places and the things that we love. Everything would be unfamiliar to us. But what if being driven from your home also meant being driven from the presence of God? What if leaving a specific land meant that God would also leave you. The anguish and the sorrow of that prospect is, is in part what Psalm 137 captures for us in a way that no other psalm really does. Whether it was written early or late in the exile, it, it is a psalm that lets us hear the heart cry of the exiles. And while we may not have not been driven from our homes by a foreign army, we know what it is to be, as Peter called us, elect exiles in this world to be the people of God living in the midst of a broken and sinful world, to have moments where we wonder if God has forsaken us and left us to be destroyed by our enemies or even by ourselves. So how do we respond to these thoughts? How do we respond to the darkness of God's apparent absence? How can we embrace this darkness as we prepare to celebrate Christ's coming? Psalm 137 teaches us this. It teaches us that we must wait for the fullness of our salvation with an honesty about our sorrow and anger, but also with an unshakable hope in God. That's our main idea. We must wait. We must wait for the fullness of our salvation with an honesty about our sorrow and anger, but also with an unshakable hope in God. Over the next few weeks, I want to invite you into the waiting of, of Advent. A, a waiting that embraces that sorrow and anger that is a part of our world. And, that also, uh, and also a waiting that embraces the hope that we have in God. I, I want us to think this Sunday primarily about the sorrow we have as we wait. And then next Sunday, we'll consider that the anger as I read Psalm 137 in a moment, I think the sorrow and the anger of the author will be evident. In fact, the anger of the last three verses will certainly stand out to you. And when I don't talk about those verses today, just remember that we will cover them next Sunday, Lord willing. So let's hear the words of Psalm 137, the Psalm of the Exile. And as you hear them, keep in mind that main idea again, we must wait for the fullness of our salvation with an honesty about our sorrow and anger, but also with an unshakable hope in God. Psalm 137. 
By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Has anyone ever told you to be happy when you are sad? To laugh when you want to cry? To smile when your heart is breaking? If so, then you might understand a little bit of what is happening in the hearts of the Israelites during the exile as it's expressed in this psalm. In my mind's eye, this, this scene that's painted here happened on the way away from Jerusalem and, and into Babylon, but it could have been at any point in the exile. The scene is beside a river. Kids, as I describe it, this may, I know a lot of you like to draw, uh, you may draw this scene and, and begin by drawing a river. The Israelites are, are by a river, but it's, it's not the Jordan River, which was a place of triumph and miracles. Rather, it's a river a river in Babylon. And there beside this river in an unfamiliar land, God's people are weeping. And what is causing their weeping? We're told there that it's their their memories of, of Zion. There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, verse one says. Their longing for their homeland caused them to weep. They are weeping because of the fact that they have been taken away from Israel. Their captors, the Babylonians, then, in the midst of their weeping, add insult to injury and ask them to sing one of the songs of Zion. Maybe one of the the Psalms of Ascent, sung as the Israelites journeyed to Jerusalem for the various feasts of the Jewish calendar. Maybe a psalm like Psalm 124. Can you imagine Israel, captives in Babylon, being told to sing a song like this, Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. If they were forced to sing that song, almost every phrase would be like a, a, a twisting of the knife of what was going on in their, in their reality. No, they, they could not sing these songs in Babylon. They couldn't sing these songs in, in exile. And so we're told in the psalm that they in Psalm 137, that they, they took their, their musical instruments, they took their harps, they took their lyres, and they hung them on the branches of the willows along the river banks. Maybe add that to your pictures, kids. Can, can you see that? Can you see God's, peoples, God's people and their tears 
streaming down their faces as their silent instruments hang in the weeping willows that surround the river that they're by. It's a desperate scene. Verses four through six form a a bridge of sorts in the emotions of the psalm. They take us from the sorrow we are speaking of this week into the anger. Uh, It it sort of slowly morphs into the anger that we'll talk about next week. But listen, look at the passion of those verses of, of four through six, where the Israelites say that they would rather forget how to play their instruments. They would rather be unable to sing anything ever again than to forget their homeland and their God. It's as if they're saying, we cannot sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land, but we also will sing no other song than the songs of Zion. We will not give up our hope, nor will we sing the songs of this land. We will not forget that we are the Lord's people. We will not grow comfortable here in Babylon. As we seek to understand and and relate to what the Israelites felt as exiles in Babylon and specifically in this psalm, I I see three responses in these verses, specifically in verses one through six, that would serve us well to meditate on as we try to embrace the, the waiting of Advent. The first is this, it's a longing for what has been lost a longing for what has been lost. I've heard it said that Christmas traditions are a way to try and recapture the magic of Christmases in the past. We strive to do the the same things that we did as children or in years past, hoping that we can recreate the, the joy and the anticipation and the wonder of what Christmas was maybe when we were children. We long for something that we lost along the way as we have grown older. As they sat by this river in Babylon, the Israelites realized all that their rejection of God had cost them, all that they had lost, and they longed to return to Jerusalem. They longed for the joy of the past that they had lost. They now understood that God and his presence were their highest joy. They wanted to sing the songs of God in his land, but they could not sing and they were far from home. The longing we have for what has been lost may be for a closeness to the Father that we once knew, or for just a simplicity when when the world and our place in it made so much more sense to us. But whatever it might be, our desire for what has been lost is not a longing for something that was lost simply in recent days. Rather, this ache speaks of something that was lost all the way back to the garden, as sin entered the world. Adam and Eve rejected God's presence. They rejected God's plan, and therefore they were cast out of the Garden of Eden, almost like like the way that the Israelites were cast out of their land. And humanity ever since has been longing for what we lost there in Eden. We've been longing for it every generation since. We have longed for Edom. We have longed for Jerusalem. We have longed For Zion, we have longed for the presence of God in our lives. We hear in the exiles what we hear in our own hearts, a longing for what has been lost. But we also see, secondly, a resistance to present idolatry. So we think about the past, a longing for what was lost in the past, and then think about the present, a resistance to present idolatry. If any of you have read Andrew Peterson's book series, The Wingfeather Saga, 
hopefully some of you have. But one of the, the weapons that the enemy uses is a song. It's a song that if it is sung, it transforms the singer into a member of the forces of wickedness in that book. And the way to fight against that was to not sing that song. There in a foreign land, surely God's people were tempted to forget the songs of Zion and to instead sing the songs of Babylon or later the songs of Persia. We read Esther and we wonder how much those who resided there in Susa had become comfortable being away from Jerusalem. Had they begun to sing the songs of that city? But the writer of this psalm refuses to sing the songs of the foreign land. He refuses to forget Jerusalem, Jerusalem or let something replace his joy in the Lord's presence. Filled with sorrow, longing for fulfillment, we can be fooled into singing the songs of this world. We can begin to, to worship money, power, sex, success, influence, and the like, thinking that they will satisfy us. How ironic that, that Christmas, the celebration of the coming of Jesus, who alone can satisfy us with his presence, how ironic that Christmas has become about consumerism, such that we begin to think that some gift will abate our sorrows when only God can do that, that, that some present can replace the joy of God's presence. So along with the exiles, we must resist all forms of idolatry and know that only God in Christ is worthy of worship. He and the blessing of his presence is what our hearts are longing for. Maybe in this season of Advent, as we resist present idolatry, we would take time and recognize the way that our hearts are being drawn away and finding joy in things other than the presence of God. All of this takes us to a third response. We saw a longing for what has been lost, a resistance to present idolatry, and third, these exiles reveal and remind us of something that's in our own hearts, and that's a, a hope for what has not yet come. A hope for what has not yet come. Behind this, this psalm, there is a hope, a hope of, of the exiles that they will return. The hope that someday they would be able to take up their instruments again and sing the songs of Zion again in the city of Zion, that they would once again be in the presence of God, surrounded by his people. These Israelites were, were hoping for that return, but in this period they were also hoping for their Messiah, for, for a Savior to rescue and to restore them. And we know that Jesus is the one who has come so that we can be drawn near to God. He has come so that God's presence will always be with us, so that the Spirit of Jesus might be poured out on us all and we might live continually in his presence. We know that for all who trust in Christ, who, who admit their idolatry and sin, who believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again to make us his children, who through repentance and faith have come to know the forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Spirit, for all true Christians, we have tasted in part the hope that the exiles were longing for and the hope that all humanity is seeking, whether they know it or not. And yet, we still await Jesus' second advent. The, the, the moment when he comes again and the dwelling place of God is with men and women for all time and in its fullness. When sorrow is banished from God's good world and we know the Father's full and enduring presence. 
Advent-like exile can give us the good gifts of a longing for what has been lost. Advent-like exile can remind us that we need to have a resistance to present idolatry in our lives. Advent-like exile can give us a hope for what has not yet come in fullness. I want to invite you to meditate on these things this longing for what's been lost, this resistance to present idolatry, this hope for what has yet come. And as you do that, I I want to maybe give you a few applicational thoughts in addition to thinking about these things. One would be to to embrace and give voice to your sorrow. Uh, Part of Advent is, is remembering that, remembering our, our sorrow. Embrace and give voice to your sorrow. At Thanksgiving and today in our Zoom call, we went around and we said what we were thankful for. What if we also were okay with sitting around and saying what's been hard? Talking about what has brought sorrow into our lives. We're resistant to that sometimes. We're okay with people being thankful, but we're resistant to saying what's been hard and and what's difficult and what makes us weep and never want to sing again? What has reminded you in this present year, what has reminded you that Jesus has come, but also that we are still waiting for him to come again? That could be a good conversation to have in small groups. It could be a good conversation to have just maybe in your home um, as families a couple practical ways maybe to bring a little bit of Advent into our Christmas celebrations. You know, in these next four weeks, you might pick a day and just each week say, you know, on, on this day, we're not going to listen to our Christmas songs. And in fact, you know, if you have a Christmas tree or lights, you could say, we're not going to turn the lights on today. We're going we're gonna to sit in the darkness a little bit and be reminded that there's a waiting and there's a longing. And while there is joy now in the present that we, we, we can embrace the fact that Jesus has come. We also remember that there is still darkness in this world. You might even read some scriptures together. And if you have some Advent candles in your home, you might light just the single candle this week and, and sit by the light of that and remember that we are still waiting for the fullness of God's kingdom. So embrace and give voice to your sorrow. Second, find comfort in Jesus' sorrow. We want to be driven to Christ, even as we think about how much we long for him. Uh, Find comfort in Jesus' sorrow. Think about Jesus, who was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus, who knew what it meant to, to feel the absence of God's presence as he died on the cross. Consider how Jesus can relate to our sorrow. One of the great parallel passages I would encourage you to read to this idea about sorrow and anger, and we'll probably reference it more next week, would be to think about Jesus and Lazarus, where Jesus shows up and Lazarus has has died. And before Jesus raises him from the dead, before we see the power of Jesus in the resurrection, we see Jesus weep with sorrow. We also see Jesus weep in anger and frustration at what sin has caused in this world. Jesus feels that things are not the way they're supposed to be, just as we do. 
embrace and give voice to your sorrow. Find comfort in Jesus' sorrow. But also, in the background, we're also always remembering the enduring presence of God. Remember the enduring presence of God. We want to sit a bit in the darkness. We want to sit a bit in the waiting and the sorrow and the longing for things to be the way they are. But in the background, we also remember God's enduring presence. The Israelites wondered if God had forsaken them, but the prophets continually reminded them that God was with them, though they were far from Israel, though they were far from the temple, and even though he felt far from them, God was there. The prophet Isaiah told the people, he said in Isaiah 49.5, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Embrace and give voice to your sorrow. Find comfort in Jesus' sorrow and remember the enduring presence of God. May God help us to long for him more and more this Advent season and then to celebrate more fully than ever when we remember that Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on on God's word. I will pray for us and then we will sing one more song. Let's take a moment of silence. Father, we are tempted to be much too content in this world. Help us not to find our joy ultimately in the things that we have around us, Lord, but help us to find our joy in you, in the gift of your people, in the blessings that you provide for us in Christ, in him alone. And help us to long, Lord, not um, not for this world, not for some earthly kingdom, but for you and for the fullness of your kingdom. We thank you that we have great hope, that we know Christ has come, and just as surely he will come again. Lord, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.